All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. Good morning. This is Dave Debo. We are talking this morning about the Nunes memo. A little bit later in the program, we will switch back and touch briefly on the Super Bowl and also uh, on the State of the Union address earlier this week. I always say what a week it is to talk politics. This was a week, of course, where that happened early in the week. And by the time now Sunday rolls around, uh, it might be a little bit of old news, but I think we can still go in depth just a bit and bring you some of that. But I do want to talk more about this particular memo, the Nunes memo, they're calling it. It basically comes from the House Intelligence Committee, a memo they prepared after looking at confidential information, top secret information. And basically in it, they allege that the FISA court warrants at the root of part of the investigation into Donald Trump and possible campaign connections to Russia. At the very root of that, Carter Page, one of those they got surveillance against, was uh, the warrant to get that surveillance was based on, according to this memo, stuff that has its roots in the DNC, the Democratic National Committee. Fruit of the poison tree would be the legal uh, analysis there. I want to talk more about the legal side of it with Anthony Bruce, a former federal prosecutor from around here, who has also worked pretty extensively on national security issues. Anthony, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Let's start with your background. Give me some bona fides, if you can. Uh, I know of you as a prosecutor. Talk about the things you've done on the uh, national security side. Well, during the latter years of my, uh, of my career in the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was also what we called the national security coordinator in the office for, uh, difficult to say, about four years. So I did do some national security stuff. I didn't directly deal with FISA because that's not something the local U.S. Attorney's Office yeah. deal with at all. And it's also very, very secretive. I, I would imagine very few people really end up dealing with that. Well, that's true. Um, there's a whole court, there's a whole section of the Department of Justice that deals directly with that court. Uh, the judges on the court are appointed by the, the uh, chief judge of the, or chief justice of the Supreme Court, and it all goes on behind closed doors. All right. Now, you have read through the Nunes memo. What does it say to you about the status of the investigation? As a guy with a legal background who's done the national security stuff you've done, what jumps out at you? I hate to say this, not a lot. Um, all the Nunez memo says to me is that a FISA warrant was obtained on information that was given to it that didn't outline the fact that one of the sources was politically motivated uh, in giving the information that he gave to the FBI that finally made, worked its way into the, to the warrant application. So based on your reading of it, how tainted is the, is the, uh, the information got from that surveillance? That's a problem. Um, without reading the entire FISA warrant, which neither you nor I will ever see, it's difficult to say. Um, an average FISA warrant probably is anywhere from 50 to 100 pages long. Um, if, if I read the Nunez uh, memo you know, the right way, this formed a very small part of that application, 
it, and it's difficult, if not impossible, to go into a judge's head to see what kind of credence he gave to that part, or if he gave credence to that part over the rest of the information in the affidavit that was submitted to the court. Democrats and others have said this warrant was renewed twice and that the renewal had to have been because there was something there. Would you agree? Well, based on experience, yes. Um, I've done a number of criminal wiretaps over the course of the years. The first, and they were in 30-day increments, the first 30 days was always the most difficult to get because you were drawing from source information, you were drawing from this, you were drawing from that. Once in a while you'd have um, a conversation, a, a consensual conversation that was recorded. You'd go to the court, you'd get your authorization for the first 30 days, assuming the court signed off on it. And then when you got up and started listening, you would get criminal conversations, and it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that those could lead to another 30 days, etc. I have to assume that, and, and they got, as I understand it, three extensions, not two. Okay. I have to assume here that they got good information out of that first 90 days, and then, as I said, it's a self-fulfilling philosophy. They got information the second 90 days and so on and kept things going. But I can think of several cases, even one uh, local case of political corruption, where they've gone to court and tossed out a crucial early piece of evidence and in the process haven't been able to use a lot of the evidence that came afterwards. If the initial justification for the warrant was tainted because it was political in nature, mm-hmm. does that then mean all the other stuff is and I'm not sure if these courts work the same way, but if we can even use the phrase, but does that mean that all the other stuff is then inadmissible? From a, polar, from a completely theoretical aspect, possibly. But you, you just, you're, you're, operating, you're asking your question based on very little information. The rest of the information we'll never get. The question is, if you pull out uh, the, the objectionable part from the initial FISA warrant and go back and look at that FISA warrant, is there still enough information in that FISA warrant to get um, the authorization to do what the agents would then do? If there is, it, it's all over. If there isn't, then we have to, to look further into your question and the answer that comes from your question. Representative Trey Gowdy this morning saying that the investigation would still go ahead, but that this dossier would probably uh, have meant that that, that uh, warrant wasn't necessarily there. Uh, in such a case... Does it undermine the rest of the the prosecution if one comes? Very possibly, but don't forget you're you're here in your in the FISA court, and you're you're not often talking prosecutions anyway. You're talking intelligence gathering. Okay, so the the purpose of the court again is is not to build a case, but to gather the information. Right. If 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 in a FISA intercept, and a FISA intercept goes far beyond the ordinary criminal intercept. If in a FISA intercept they come across criminal information, in other words, uh, someone who's suspected of being a a spy for a a foreign power all of a sudden is talking about robbing a local bank, that information can be used, but it can't just be trotted out and used. There's a whole secondary process that has to go into that for it to be used on the criminal side of the house. You're dealing with two sides of the house, so to speak. Two sides of the FBI, so to speak. Let's put it that way. All right. 
Let's bring in a couple phone calls here. Anthony Bruce is with us. He's a former federal prosecutor, again, who has worked on national security matters in the Buffalo office of uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office. Now, granted, the FISA court is a little bit different, but he's someone who certainly has enough expertise. We can try to chat a little bit about it. And he's with us. uh, Stay with us after the news break, too. He's with us for about 10 more minutes after that. If you'd like to join the conversation, we've got a couple of lines open. 803-0930. Pat on a cell phone. Let's bring you in first. Hi. Hey, Dave. Uh, thanks for taking the call. First of all, when I read the unclassified uh, memo, uh, I want to point out that they're talking about two different things. One is the surveillance of Carter Page, and the other is the dossier. They're saying the dossier is what uh, wasn't revealed, that there were uh, Democratic uh, leanings in it, if you will, that it was paid for. But the Carter Page thing uh, predates that, in fact, as far as 2013. But what's interesting to me about the, the memo itself is it's not from the majority members. It's from the majority staff members to the majority. So Devin Nunez has given himself some distance here. He made sure that he can always go back and blame it on somebody else. And in the Don McGahn's letter uh, to Congress, it says, to be clear, the memorandum reflects the judgments of its congressional authors. So here we're talking about the judgments of six staff members that have not seen the underlying information, uh, and we're giving this some play like it's that important. I agree with Mr. Bruce that this is sensitive, that we shouldn't be talking about our methods or when we started to surveil, but this memo's really a whole lot to do about nothing. So for you, this is not the big, massive smoking gun at all? Not only for me, but if you look at Trey Gowdy's post last night, yeah. this memo has nothing to do with uh, the Russian investigation, and uh, it's it's really a lot about nothing. And in fact, Trey Gowdy is speaking out about that on CBS's Face the Nation this morning. I'm going to pop you on hold, Pat. We uh, have another one of those hard breaks. We have to get to our newscasts on time today because of the breaking news involving that train crash down in the Carolinas. Anthony Bruce, stay with us. We'll have more with you after this. Pat, if you need to uh, chime in with a little bit more, we'll get to you too. But we have to pause for news on News Radio 930 WBEN Buffalo. It's Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. This is Dave Debo. Anthony Bruce is with us, former federal prosecutor in Buffalo. We're looking at the Nunes memo and some of the things that are alleged in it. And uh, also, let's uh, bring back Pat, a caller from a cell phone in the Buffalo area. Earlier, Pat, you were saying before the news break, and let me try to summarize it. If, if I don't do it accurately, please jump in. Uh, you were you were kind of echoing something that uh, Trey Gowdy said uh, this morning on, on Face the Nation. Uh, basically, he says that there would still be a Russia investigation even without this memo. It will not have any impact on the Russian probe. Here's the quote. There's a Russia investigation without a dossier. So to the extent the memo deals with the dossier and the FISA process, the dossier has nothing to do with the meeting at Trump Tower. The dossier has nothing to do with an email sent by Cambridge Analytica. The dossier has really nothing to do with George Papadopoulos' meeting in Great Britain. Uh, You're saying that this memo uh, doesn't amount to a heck of a lot. Have I summarized it properly? You have, and and it undercuts when the president says this is some smoking gun. It should be pointed out that one of the people that signed the FISA warrant uh, was Mr. Rosenstein, but another was this Dana Benedi, uh, Deputy Attorney General. He moved around uh, uh, to a number of different uh, positions under Trump before being dismissed as a U.S. attorney 
in charge of, I forget what district, but he signed one of these FISA warrants for Carter Page in the same investigation, and now was just rehired last week by uh, the Trump administration. Okay, so Tony Bruce, let's bring you in. What's your reaction to what Pat is saying? I have to agree. I don't see anything. I think that the Nunez memo is an attempt to show that the FBI was was politically motivated or ignored political motivation in in investigating Carter Page, but I don't see Carter Page having much bearing, if any, on what um, Mr. Mueller is doing. All right. So it might get rid of a portion of it, but not a big enough portion to matter? A portion of what? Of the, of the overall investigation. To do with the Mueller investigation. All right. Jerry and Alden, you're up now. Good morning. Hi, thanks for waiting. Good morning, Dave. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to add one more thing to the discussion. You know, so much is made of the Nunes memo release, but wasn't last month the big issue the release of the GPS testimony? The what testimony? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. A fusion GPS. Oh, right. Okay. That was released by the Senate, not by the full committee. And yet they won't release Michael Caputo's testimony. So it looks to me like it's the normal political games. To what degree, uh, Tony, I don't know if you can comment on this. Uh, Thanks for the call, Jerry. Uh, I think I haven't heard your voice here on the program. I I love it when new people call in. So thanks for that. Uh, Tony, comment to the degree you can. Is there politics at work here based on what you see in the memo? Uh, You're a legal guy. You're, you could look at it strictly as a legal document, or is there more going on? Well, any time you're dealing with the Senate or the House and you're dealing with a majority and a minority, you're dealing with politics straight out. Um, beyond that, I really don't I, – I, I'm not that familiar with the workings of these committees, but this is the this is the – as one caller pointed out, this is the work of the staff of the majority of the House Intelligence Committee – um, and apparently the Democrats are trying to put something out on the other side. Absolutely, it's politics. Where do you see it all going? What happens next based on anything that you've been reading or seeing? Um, I think it, it dies a, a rather quick death. The the memo or the investigations? You're saying just the memo, right? No, ju- just the memo. I think the memo... Uh, is somewhat sensational news for this week, maybe part of next week, and I think that'll be the end of it. Bob Mueller, I I know Bob Mueller. I've met him a long time ago. I don't know him well. I don't make any claim to that effect, but he's not going to go away. And anything that's in this memo that is discredited does not therefore discredit him? He's not using evidence from the memo. So my answer to that, my reaction to that, and of course I don't know a whole, I don't know the depth of it, but my reaction to that is, if he's not using evidence that was that came out as a result of these uh, FISA wires, it has absolutely no effect on Bob Mueller or his investigation. But what about, we spoke earlier how it's in a political context. What about this theory, that it discredits the FBI and therefore maybe discredits the investigation enough that there can be a taint thrown at Mueller? Okay, um if you're going to discredit the FBI, the FBI is still going to be there. The FBI is still going to investigate. I don't see it making the FBI go away. Um, I see Mueller. Mueller's like the the uh, the ever the Energizer Bunny. He's just going to keep going. And do you in any way picture 
a case being made to fire or dismiss Mueller here? I do. Um, I think it's a made-up case to, to fire him, but I do see that coming out of the Trump administration. All right, Tony, interesting stuff. Glad you could join us today. Has there been anything in the memo or that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered yet? No, I don't think so. I, I just think the memo is going to be out there for a while. People are going to read it. They're going to say, uh, you know, shame on the FBI, shame on the Justice Department, and move on to tomorrow's news. All right, interesting stuff. Glad you could join us and have some analysis there. Tony Bruce is a former federal prosecutor in the Buffalo office of the U.S. Attorney's Office. You also heard him say earlier he was their national security coordinator, which means when these kind of issues came up on the local level, he was the guy that read in, and uh, he gave us some pretty good analysis there. His comments, by the way, along with those from Michael Caputo earlier, will be up shortly at WBEN.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.